What is up? Thank you for tuning in to In a Minute with Evan Lovett, coming to you from the IM Studios in Los Angeles. This is a special episode. I have a guest, Vincent Rocco Vargas. You may know him as Gilly from Mayans MC, an FX show that's part of the Sons of Anarchy universe, but I know him as my friend and baseball teammate at Monroe High School and Panorama City American Legion, and we've kept in touch for the last 25 years. But our lives went in very different directions. Before he was an actor and a screenwriter, Vince was an army ranger and a federal agent. We're talking boots on the ground in Iraq, real stuff. We dive into some of those experiences and the PTSD that arose out of that and what he's doing now, not just to combat that for him, but to help other veterans. And even though Vince is LA through and through, he lives in, of all places, Utah with his wife and get this, eight children. And no, he's not Mormon. But he does commute back and forth to work here in L.A. every week. So I had to find out about that lifestyle. This is an extremely fascinating guy. I also dig into the origin story of how he made the transition from military to famous actor. Guys, I thought this was an ultra compelling conversation. and I think you will, too. So without further ado, let's get into it. Yeah, you know, I mean, my father was a former Marine, so he, I was always raised in a world where, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, wake up early, get your chores done. Uh, That's why he was a good baseball coach. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, that is exactly why he was a good baseball coach. He was very stern, he had his rules, and and he, you know, we we had a very structured lifestyle. Um, Some would say he was a little strict, all in all, I mean, he was a former gang member, and my brother was getting involved in the same stuff, my father was... I'll probably ten, tor- 10 times more attentive to me to say, no, you're going to play sports no matter what. Wow. And then I played year-round because if I wasn't playing sports, he he was nervous. He just it wasn't comfortable with me. But your bro was a baseball player, too. He was. I remember He that. was. He was a baseball player. He was a good ball player. But then you get to high school, you start following yeah. different crowds and, and doing different things. And he got into tagging, and then he became a well-known uh, kind of underground, you know, south side rapper, you know, and it got big to the point where— What's his, what's his rap name? Uh, they call him Crow Soto, man. He's really well known, man. That's yeah, dope. Yeah. Okay. And so, okay. as he ventures into that space, I think my father was even double time on me. Like, no, we're gonna p- keep playing sports. And so, uh, my mother and father, are dope people, bro. My mother was born poor. She picked cotton. She picked fruit. You know, she, where from? By the way, El Paso, Texas, Conotillo, small little city. No shit. Yeah. Okay. And so, and so, you know, she's a first generation uh, American, and my father's Puerto Rican, and he came from. New York and from a very abusive father who was a drunk and abusive to his mom and him and, and the family and so my father was more comfortable on the street and that's what got him into gangs right so when, when he in ended, New York or, no he or ended up moving here, here uh, when he was younger and he they moved to Echo Park and so he, yeah as a Puerto Rican as a Puerto Rican Puerto, who, okay. who who didn't tell every, the world Puerto Rican he was Mexican at, that's it, what I was okay, yeah. Okay, okay. yeah and so you know I was raised like a Mexican so I didn't know my Puerto Rican background and so and so we learned that as I got older and educated myself on it but, um, you know, my mom cooked both Puerto Rican and Mexican food. Never knew the difference, dog. I thought they were both Mexican. <laughs> but, like, you know, you're raised by these kind of people. Dude, they didn't teach me race. I didn't know racism existed until I actually went into college. I didn't know. There wasn't a thing. There wasn't colors. How much do you attribute that to growing up in Los Angeles? Oh, honestly? big time, bro. Big. Come on, dude. I had, 
every race I could ever think of, whether it didn't matter, and we didn't treat it as if it was race. It was just homies. We talk, we talk shit to each other no matter what, but it wasn't a race thing. So like, I always tell my mom, you, I said, mom, you never told me that um, some uh, imaginary uh, being is slowing me down, my progression in life because I'm this skin color or that color. She's never, I've never felt that, never will. She's always just said, you know, work hard, work hard, work hard. You know, my dad, yeah. he wasn't a talker. He wasn't this guy that would mentor me and say, hey son, don't do this. No, he just lived by example. Yeah. And if I fucked up, he'd whoop my ass. You know what I mean? Right. And so wow. he was a man of very few words in his type of mentorship as a dad. He was a man of actions. I watched him and I was like, holy shit. I watched how people respected him and revered him, dude. Because yeah, he was such a stern, dude. serious man. Here, here, just, just to interlude, this was my relationship with your dad, right? Carlos yes. Vargas? Okay, so I was a couple years younger than your older brother. Yeah but a couple years older than you. Yeah. So I never had the direct Carlos Vargas experience, but I had heard from the older kids like, oh, he's so awesome. He's great. And everybody around the league knew him. And then the younger kids always liked him. But every time I saw him, he looked like this serious ass yeah. guy. And this was right. This is the 90s where the baseball dad wasn't what it was today where kids are trying to be like, you need to be in travel ball and you need to like, you know, long th throwing program and agility program and all that. Yeah. No, it was just playing baseball. But I remember like thinking about your dad and I was like, that dude's hella strict. Why does everybody <laughs> like him? Like, how does dude. he have this great reputation? Cause he's so mean, quote yeah, unquote, exactly. without realizing no, but that's, that that's exactly. Yeah. He was yeah. mean, he was strict, but they loved it. These kids wanted structure, dude. Most of these kids didn't have the dads like him. And he was like the dad to everyone, bro. And it was crazy to me because I saw how much people loved him. And I was like, dude, I can't stand this dude. He's so mean wow. to me, right? You know what I mean? And then as I got older and had kids, I'm like, oh my God, this dude, him and my mom together were like this perfect blend of how they raised us to the point where like, dude, I was a always a happy kid. I was always a troublemaker in the sense of being, just being mischievous kind you of You were dude. the fun. You were yes. like fun trouble though. Always, yeah. yeah. Like what I is it, John Lewis, good trouble, the yeah. uh, the former congressman? Yeah. yeah. So I was like always willing to make a fool out of myself to make the crowd laugh. I was yeah. always willing to just do dumb shit to just enjoy it. But man. to be clear, from an outside perspective, Vince wasn't like class clown though. No, it was like no. good spirited fun. Like, and that that's what I'm saying. Like it's, Vince had this air of you want to be around him. You know what I mean? Not in the corny sense, but it's like you're going to be all right. But but go yeah. on. Yeah. And so like, you know, I continued with that kind of persona. I was just really chilled my whole life. And then, you know, how how did I get into the military was, yes. you know, I pursued this baseball career and I kept going. And as I made mistakes and I got kicked off of one team, went to another team, I find myself in. Hold on. I uh -oh. got to interrupt because I got to tell you. So Vince was this guy. Left-handed base, uh, left-handed swing, left-handed arm. I remember him, and those of you that are Dodger fans remember kind of Yasiel Puig, the wild horse. He wasn't quite like that, but that's the way I'd sort of describe him, where it was like the athletic ability, the physicality is like oozing out of the pores, and there are moments where you're like, this guy's the best player on the field. <laughs> like, like, that's it. But all told, you know, solid, solid baseball player, good baseball player, so I could see the proverbial scout being like, we got to take a chance on that guy. Yeah. Look at this upside. So, so yeah. just to set, set the tone. So, uh, yeah. go on. so, you know, I was, I was doing really well, you know, being left-handed pitcher, but also being able to hit home runs. Yeah. Um, it was valuable, man. And, uh, you know, my career went all kinds of different ways, but eventually I had a really good summer season up in Chico and I got a full ride to an NAI college in Kentucky. It's called Owensboro. The city is Owensboro and this college was called Brescia university. I had a hell of a preseason, man. 
home runs. I'm striking everyone out. I'm just I'm just killing it, dog. I like everyone's like, who the fuck is this kid, right? Yes. And uh, I felt and really. This is California. California before baseball. the internet, really yes, too. So yeah. there's no homework to be done. Scouting reports Dude, were probably sparse. Yeah, it was yeah. crazy, man. I had, we did an alumni game, and I caught I had a crazy diving catch at the warning track in the gap, <laughs> and everyone's like, "Who the fuck is this dude?" Right. And uh, I just felt like, bro, this is my time. I'm feeling good. I'm in a good zone. I got away from the drama from L.A. because, you know, just life in L.A. was was kind of overwhelming for me. Um, and I became academically ineligible. Just a young dude in a, in a kind of being free out there in the middle of nowhere. Didn't have my dad or mom to kind of look over my shoulder. Uh, got into the drinking Ooh. phase of partying and all that. And, you know, the persona of the goat, right? People who used to call me Goathead. You remember that nickname, bro? Yes. yes. Honestly, yeah, 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 yes. I was yeah. Go no, there, you can't, yes. It's all good, yeah. right? It started in high school, uh, and then throughout my career, I, I was bird. By the way, those of you that have seen my profile <laughs> can can understand exactly why. But go yeah. on, go on. And so, like, uh, you know that that name goat kind of created a persona that was like the party animal, party hard, play hard. And uh, I let it kind of lead for a long time, dude. You know, I was a proud closer that would shove it up their fucking ass and go to party it after, right? And yeah. and. And I let that get away from me to the point where, you know, it, it actually ruined my career. I was too immature to handle the mm. pressure of it all and uh, lost my full ride. And I find myself working uh, at Texas Roadhouse and after the shift spending my tips on beer at the at a Literally, literally Texas Roadhouse. I, Texas, not, I worked at Texas Roadhouse, bro. Wow. In and, Kentucky. In Kentucky. Oh, yeah, God. exactly. And so I would finish my shift. I had nothing else to do. My, my I had a daughter that just got born in L.A. I'm sitting in Kentucky. How old are you right now? I'm, my, I mean, not right now. Right oh, now in the story. I was 21 yeah. years old. Okay. Oh, 21 God. years old. Oh, and you might, time, yeah. yeah, and so like, I, dude, I didn't know what the plan was. Lost everything. Too embarrassed to call my dad and say, hey, come pick me up, right? Um, I didn't know what was next. And I sat there at a bar drinking a Killian's at the time. I used to drink Killian's. Like, I'm embarrassed <laughs> to say that, bro. Don't be embarrassed, <laughs> bro. You are what you are, bro. Man, you did it. Uh, yeah. And I'm drinking this thing, and I'm watching this uh, Marine pull, pull, pull down a statue with an American flag over the head of the Saddam statue, right? And the family's all proud and shit, and they're fucking, inter- the interview's like going so well. Well, and they're crying. on TV. You're, yeah, you're at yeah, the bar. You're okay. And so I'm sitting there thinking, like, "Fuck, I need to do something myself." And uh, I ended up joining the military the next day. And and it was wasn't that I've never I've never dreamed of doing the military. I actually would despise it because my father was so stern. I thought like I don't want to be like that dude. Yeah, you know what I mean? Of course. And then I joined out of just like I I want to be like my dad, as in I want to I want to offer these things to my kids i want to give them opportunity and i'm not doing anything right now but in kentucky drinking beers my daughter's in california and so i was like if i died for the country because bro i'm gonna tell you if people that don't understand when you have baseball in your blood it's a breakup it's it's a it's an emotional transition when you realize you're done and i broke up with the game that i fell in love with that it was going through my veins every fucking day and i had to say oh my god i'm done Bro, bro, after we played together and Vince and I played together probably 96 to 98, the last time we played for Panorama City American Legion, and I fashioned myself a pitcher. And I was this right-hander that could throw like 85, 86, which is hard to a normal person, but for baseball, it's nothing. It's literally a dime a dozen. I spent five years after that point, after that point, which in theory was my peak. It was definitely my competitive peak still chasing the dream, yeah. not giving up on that relationship where you're like, no, I can make it, man. I'd play long toss with myself. I remember one year I moved to Seattle and I'd take a bucket of balls at an empty diamond and just quote unquote warm up with no other partner, just throwing balls against the backstop, backing up a little more every step. But yes, if you fall in love with the game, that is a marriage and it's one of the hardest things to reconcile where you're like, look, I guess I'm 
not yeah. a baseball player anymore. But yes. Yeah. So go so, on. So that that was enough for me to be like, well, I can do the right thing by my child and I can serve. And if I died in combat, well, then she would get money. And, and you good. were aware of this. So you're, well, you're I made well- the choice just for that. I said, cool, we're dying overseas. Let's go. And this is set the scene. This is 2003? Yeah, it's 2003. I joined two, October 16th, 2003. Okay, so that was my day entering, yes. What was it? October what? October 13th. Okay. 16th, sorry. October 16th. So keep in mind, 9 11 happened in 2001. After 9 11, correct me if I'm wrong, it's a while now. We still had the Saddam in power, yep. and Bush yep. was like claiming victory, yep. toppled the statue, all that kind of stuff. Was Afghanistan in the picture quite yet? Yeah, ex- ex- Afghanistan was just, I believe they just uh, did the whole Afghan invasion, just happened early that t- 2003. How much were you paying attention? How close were Not you? Not at all. Not until that news thing. I knew it was wow. happening, but like, bro, my, okay. my world was baseball, and, and, and I was drinking. All right? It wasn't like, let me watch the news. Dude, it was, yeah, that that, vid, that uh, interview was every. I was like, oh, man, they're over there and I'm doing war. That's crazy. You know, I thought this. I said... I can give my family uh, the the pride that this family sees in their kid. Yeah. I could give my daughter a future with money. And what if I do make it? Am I going to be a guy 40 years from now in a bar with no war stories? Or am I going to be the guy with war stories? Weird thought, right? A weird thought. Because I'm sitting in a bar. Yeah. And I'm thinking, hey, 40 years from now, am I going to be a guy that said I should have, could have, would have? Or am I going to be a guy with stories? And that was a weird thought, but that's what I had. And I was like, ah, oh, fuck it. I went, I said, I went to recruit. I said, hardest thing you got. Infantry, but the hardest thing you got. Wait, what do you, so tell me, you went to a recruiter where? How'd next, you know where a recruiter morning. was? Oh, dude, Did was you a, look it up? No, there's a recruiter down the street. I knew exactly where they were because you drive by it. Dude, Owensboro, Kentucky is one street. It's called Frederica. Frederica, whatever it is, one street, okay? One light. Two colleges, right? Like, like so there's, not, there's, I know everything that's in that damn town. So you knew the recruiter. Yeah. And it was Army specific. Did you know, you, like, because, again, I, I don't. Uh, embarrassingly, I don't know. Army, Air Force, Navy, Marines. Like, so I'm a funny I'm story. Even, yeah. I called my dad and said, Hey, dad, I'm going to be joining the military. I'm thinking about joining the Marines. He said, Hell no. <laughs> and I was like, uh, Okay. I thought it would be a pride moment for him. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah, son, do it. Right. He was Finally like, following my he's footsteps. Like, he's like, Hell no. Don't do that. Don't join the Marines. Anything but the Marines. I was like, Oh. Uh, okay, so then I said, all right, well, let me go talk to the Marine recruiter. He's like, and I, I know there's signing bonuses, right? They talk about signing bonuses. It's like, man, I could use some money right now. You know, I, I haven't paid for diapers for my daughter. I haven't paid for anything. My mom's helped right. me. And so he said, joining a Marine is, is the bonus. I was like, <laughs> dog. I was like, all right, fuck this. I'm out, right? <laughs> Shit, okay. So okay. I was like, that was like, nah, I'm good. So then I talked to the Navy because I thought Navy SEAL was a cool title, right? Yeah. I've, I've heard of those guys. Yeah. And they couldn't promise me a, a Navy SEAL contract. Now, I didn't know that they didn't have that. Like, you join with the, the chance to go try out. I, what, I didn't know. I just said, that doesn't feel good not having it in the contract. Like, I'm, t- you know, I'm 22 at this point or something like that. 21, 22. I'm a little more knowledgeable. Like, I don't want to just sign anything. Yeah. So yeah. I went to the Army recruiter. And, Hold uh, on. I want to stop. So yeah. you were like, if I'm going to do Navy, I better get that Navy, Navy SEAL, SEAL. experience. That's fucking yeah. dope. And that's, listen, for those that don't know, that's what I kind of call a little bit of L.A. cockiness, right? Where you always hear that. And, and, and again, L.A. is a lot of different things. But there's a certain we're not conceited, you know, especially not in the quote unquote industry. But like there's a little L.A.-ness, especially if you've had that taste of success where you're like, look, if I'm going to do something, I at least want the coolest part of that experience. You know, and not even the best doesn't even mean I'm the best. It, it's not what that means. But it's like. 
look, dude, if I'm going to do it, you better show me the real shit. Yeah. You know what yeah, I mean? Dude. All right, so go on. Yeah, dude. On. So I ended up going to the Army recruiter and said, what's the hardest thing you got? And I want to do infantry. He said, all right, well, it's going to be either Army Ranger or Special Forces. I took the test. I wasn't the smartest dude in the world, so I got a 108 GT score, which all that means is to qualify for Special Forces, you need a 110. There was no two-point waiver at the time. Later on, there was, but there wasn't at that time, so I, I really said, okay, cool. We'll take Army Ranger. So I signed up for the military as an Army Ranger infantry guy. And that only means that I have the chance to become a ranger if I pass everything. Okay. And so okay. I did. And after passing everything from, from basic training to airborne to Army Ranger selection program, it's called RIP, uh, Ranger Indoctrinal Program at the time, um, I got to my unit with 2nd Ranger Town in Fort Lewis, Washington. And within about 45 days to 50, 60 days, boom, I'm in Afghanistan. I had so little, I probably had five days to maybe 10 days of actual training with my unit before we went overseas. Uh, it was crazy because they were already overseas at the time and they came back. Um, it was like a short stint. I forget what they call it. called it like a surge or something, which meant like it was like a 45 day deployment. Uh, that was when Pat Tillman was killed. Oh, sh yeah. shit. So I was okay. in 2nd Ranger Battalion. I was in Alpha Company, 1st Platoon. He was For those that don't know, Pat Tillman, former NFL player. I believe he was a safety with the Arizona Cardinals. Um, was in the active force. Why? He was in 2nd Ranger Battalion. Why he, was he doing NFL and active? No, he walked away from the NFL. He walked wow. away from a $40 million contract. I believe, I believe a $40 million contract to serve his country. Uh, he got into the Ranger Battalion, and he was forward deployed. And um, during a mission, uh, he was killed by friendly fire. Oh, wow. Yeah, That's... dude, it's it's one of the saddest stories of, of our time. And, uh, you know, sad to be connected to that history as well, you know, because when those guys came back from that deployment, um, it was it was crazy to watch. It was crazy to watch. And yeah. uh, and not soon, like, not soon after, we're turning around and going right back to Afghanistan. And I'm like, oh, shit. So how did the, without getting too bogged down, how did the training go? What do they do? You had not had this formal training at this point. Yeah, we would we would wake up, do PT. PT's every What time day. wake up, though? Oh, dude, man, I don't know. I think PT started at 5 a.m., 5.30, something like that. That's not that yeah, it wasn't terrible. terrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. it wasn't terrible. Uh, you, get to, you get to PT formation, you do formation, boom, you go. Wait, what's PT? Uh, physical fitness, right? Physical training. Oh, so, okay, okay, so yeah. PT formation is, yeah, physical training in the army. We call it PT. It's like physical fitness. Uh, you do some kind of push-up, sit-up, uh, run improvement because that's our PT test. We do pull-ups as well because it's part of the PT test. Then we do some kind of like five-mile to 13-mile run. Oh, 13. We do We do heavy heavy ruck marches, like, you know, heavy uh, backpack and, and hike kind of thing. Like, it's like a hike, but we call it a ruck march. We do all these little things that just get you prepared like a, a strong body, man, and be able to endure some hardship out overseas. Do you think that preparation is adequate? Yeah, man. I think I think we were always prepared. I think always physically we were we were in good shape. I, I think a lot of things has changed since then. I know that sometimes you train uh, harder, not smarter, and I think they're now starting to go into more of a train smarter, not harder in the case of like let's not create injuries. Yeah. There's a lot of people that, that showed up with injuries based on what you did in training. Sometimes we jump out of an airplane and walk 20 miles. And you're like, wait, do we really need to do that? You know what I mean? So like these crazy things that you do in the special operations community to kind of solidify yourself as a badass. Uh can potentially what was your feeling in there man because i know people do these extreme things for fun or for the rush and that this is not one of those this is real life this is a real life decision that you're making but you're testing death even in the preparation yeah. even in this yeah i actually lost a buddy in a in a live fire training uh we we, we do shooting ranges 
uh, with live rounds. And, um, you know, we lost a dude to just an accidental loca- uh, position of a, of a target. Um, and, yeah, dude, this is what you do. Uh, you, you know, the, you, you train as you fight is what we say. And just in preparing for combat, you know, it's, uh, it, it can cause casualty. Do you develop a camaraderie with your team? Absolutely. Brotherhood? Yeah, it's hard to let go of. This is probably a terrible comparison, but compare it to baseball, compare it to sports, It's honestly. close. It's close. Yeah, dude, just my uh, locker room banter in college and homies I have in college is very similar, but there's a level that, 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 that military takes it. Combat takes it. There's a level that combat takes it that I have friends that I absolutely fucking can't stand from military. No, from the military. I can't stand them. Uh, they, they've probably done me dirty. They've probably done really yeah. bad things like, you know, um, Bad. I'm talking like type like sleep with your ex or something, right? Like yeah, weird stuff, right? Yeah. But if that dude called me and said he needed me, bro, I'd buy the first ticket. Wow. Because it's there's something about the combat side of things that kind of solidifies like we, we've bled together, yeah. literally or not, right? There's something that you were willing to die with me. Uh, I can't, I don't know how to compare that to anything else in life. <sighs> wow. Okay, so... Flash forward now, 45 days later, you're in Afghanistan. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Where and what are your thoughts? What's going through your head? Uh, dude, I was that was actually the first time I was getting nervous about like, oh, shit, I actually might die. Okay. Uh, I remember it was a squadler said- That's 24, 25 yeah, at this point? Yeah, 24, 25 <laughs> at this point. Um, you know, I'm kind of like autopilot slash like, okay, this is what I thought. I might, I might, I might die in something, but- you know, my first deployment wasn't the most activity. There was there was a couple times where we went and fast roped into some, um, you know, some some fire or, or like we were taking pop shots from some fucking dude. Uh, there's a couple a couple cool missions here and there, but you just never know. Afghanistan's an interesting place. I think Afghanistan is like the place that I would call. Um, you can get very complacent in Afghanistan because you'll do a dry hole, dry hole, then all of a sudden, boom, engagement. What's a dry hole? Dry hole. Show up to a mission with with intel, and you go into the to the house or the location and end up with nothing. Right, either they've been told or in the intel was bad, right? And then there's times where all of a sudden, oh, there is an engagement, or or oh. you know what I'm saying? So how do you hype yourself up? How do you? Bro, prepare? you're hype. Dog. You're hype. You, there's no. You're you're hype. The whole f- helicopter ride over there. The whole you oh know. Oh my god. In Iraq, eventually, like the whole vehicle ride over there. You're sitting there thinking, like, you know, I, you 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 find your routine and how you how you comfort yourself with whatever can potentially happen, right? And so you, there's these moments of like. You know, for me, I was, I wasn't, I wouldn't say I was atheist. I wouldn't say, I would say I, I had a struggle with my relationship with God. You know, by this point, you know, I raised here in LA where we're Catholic by, by force. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, and I wasn't supportive of like doing the whole Sunday thing. Cause that was baseball. Yes. Right? You yes. know, that was our, yeah. And so by the time I got to the military, I was still conflict of what, what, what my faith is and how my relationship with God would be. And so, uh, eventually kind of was like, Hey, big dog. Uh, you know, uh, it's me again. <laughs> and I know we're not on great terms. You know, so yeah, man. And so I started kind of like, um, you know, get me out of this. You know, my, my, my heart turned into, I do want to live. I do want to try and be there for my kids. I do want to be a good dad. You know what I mean? I, I want to get past this. And, um, and so, you know, my intention kind of changed of like, let's get as good as the job as you possibly fucking can. Yeah. So you can give yourself every opportunity to get out of here. Wow. And then, okay, so look, I could talk about this all day. I don't want to spend too much time on the, my new show. What is the most scared you ever were in your services? <laughs> That's a good question, dude. Um, there was a week in Iraq where 
um, we we got a lot of hits. We well, hold, hold on. How long were you in Afghanistan first? Sorry, uh, and that then was when like a, that you... was like a four to five month tour, and then oh. so special operations. We kind of go in and out, right? We have these four four to six month tours, depending. Is this true? I was just told by an Uber driver. Sorry if this is ignorant, <laughs> but I I was told by an Uber driver who swears that he used to play music he's a musician and he was like oh we used to go to afghanistan and play at the bases and they loved us and all this stuff and he's like they have the best food on the bases is uh, that is that I don't true agree. i don't agree no i don't agree that's funny they said that oh uh, no dude we have like chow bagram hall. i think is bagram is where i was at bagram for a little while um no dude uh, again i'm on special operations um location so they're slightly different but we do eat at a regular chow hall and those chow halls are just like a chow like a food dude i don't think it's i think we're better than a prison, but not better than like the hospital. You yeah, know what I'm okay, saying? Okay, okay. All right, skip the food. So you're gonna have four or five months. Then what happens? Yeah. So yeah. When, we, when I went to Iraq, was the next uh, deployment I went to uh, in 2005. We went to Mosul, which is a pretty hot and heavy place. Yeah. I think that whole time I was pretty like, damn, this is this is intense because Iraq is different. Iraq, uh, we have rockets hitting the base all day long, every night. You're sleeping in bed and you hear them coming, and you're like, okay, Lord. <laughs> take me out <laughs> how do you deal with how do you deal with that bro i got thunderstorms and rain here in la like we haven't had in 20 30 years and i'm like oh man i hope the roof doesn't cave in this is rain i know dude. you're talking about rockets you, what? you have to live in this world of acceptance dude you have to just accept like and what is. is it your is it your guys defenses are protecting you so you can sleep no like, man how there's you... nothing like that you can't protect from a mortar they just pop them off and they land wherever they land and you just hope you it just, doesn't you, hit yeah you hear them coming you just hold on to your pillow and say maybe it maybe it, maybe it doesn't hit me and you know a few hit pretty close to us but we never got we never got <sighs> hit we came back from a mission one day and there was a rock that landed in our area and actually hit three three delta dudes right and so it, it's just this weird game of you know whack-a-mole dude hopefully it's <laughs> yeah, not your time yeah, yeah dude. dude it's crazy and so okay so. I, I, iraq was probably the scariest time and we we had a lot of uh we took we took i wouldn't say casualties in the sense we we've got a lot of guys that that walked away with purple hearts uh and you know there was it wasn't a if it was when and so yeah getting out of iraq and mosul um it was the best time of my career as in like we did a lot of good work out there in my yeah. opinion but it was it came with the cost of like the stress of that was insane i think one of the first times we ever talked post baseball I, i'm guessing the year it was circa 06 or something and you had told me about i'm probably gonna use all the vernacular incorrectly but there was a raid where you were on foot at the side of a house kind of like oh and we we got <laughs> that's that was in uh, afghanistan okay 2007 <laughs> yeah we were doing a raid uh i won't give too much details but yeah. but essentially they really knew we were coming yes. uh they went to go we went to go put on the breach my team was the main effort for the for the assault and uh boom they caught us dead-handed right there in the alleyway and they started opening fire yeah and it was <laughs> i remember i got so comfortable with combat at that time that I looked at my saw gunner's name, uh, I'll just use his one name, Dominic. I looked at him and said, bro, they're shooting at us. And he looked at me and goes, yeah. And we, we saw the dirt popping off the side of the house right next to us, right within like four feet of us, right? You see it kicking up all the dirt because they're, you know, AK-47 just spray and pray kind of style. And uh, then over the radio, I heard a dude got hit. And uh, we're like, okay, well, then we started providing cover fire. I might put my machine gun dudes uh, on, on target. Um, and we were just kind of just kind of doing suppressive fire at the time, hoping that if we can take out the dudes on the roof, someone else eventually took them out, and we were able to get that dude in cover. Uh, as we decided we were going to assault, uh, more dudes came out the back, and they were able, they were engaged as well. And then uh, we just backed up and said, "Fuck this place, blow it up." And so we went to backed up to a little levee ditch, called in some uh, some some fire support, and they just dropped some bombs on it. 
Dude, this is real. This is not Contra on Nintendo in 1987, <laughs> which is the closest I've been to active combat. These are true heroes, man. Vince Vargas, thank you on that. But I got to know also, now, all your military experience, what was the one thing? Well, I know you probably learned a ton. What was the most important thing you can learn? You learned if you can drill it down to one or, or an overwhelming philosophy. That's tough, man. I think um, leadership is the biggest thing I've learned, but leadership in the sense where it helps me with raising my kids, it helps with just continue just doing good leadership is that everyone has a different background. Everyone was raised different, so everyone has a different approach to how you lead them. And so trying to learn who you're, who's gonna, who you're leading, like really know who they are and what makes them tick, and that'll give you the best advantage to making them do or go in the directions you need them to go, right? So like knowing people's personality and what motivates them is how wow. I lead now. Right. So with my kids, eight kids, right, all have eight personalities, and I have to kind of address each one in a different way to get the most out of them. Yeah, leadership. Wow, that's important. That's what I tell my son, too. Be a leader. But, man, learning it firsthand yeah. like that, it's a different thing. Okay, so a big issue with you, man, and I respect this and I love this, and part of the reason why I actually pay attention to your posts is mental health. Yes. Okay, and you are a big-time mental health advocate, yeah. You've had PTSD, legitimate PTSD of the, and and again, not to belittle any type of PTSD, but active service mortars firing around you. That is probably the textbook definition of PTSD. Talk to me a little bit about that. What mental health means to you and what you are doing, What why yeah. that is such an important issue for you. Yeah, man. You know, I thought, uh, I see so many of my own friends um, have taken their own lives, right? And- it was just kind of like, man, uh, if I don't think I'm any better than them, so so what makes me not be the next, right? I'm so nervous about like what put them in that place. And then I start realizing myself, I'm having trouble with drinking. I'm drinking heavily to help myself sleep. I'm having issues from thoughts and nightmares that I keep having. And, and I didn't see any relief in that. I just continued to, to self-medicate through drinking more um, and kept trying to, trying to blow it off. I said, stay busy. Don't worry. It'll stay in the past. You know, as it started to catch up to me more and more, I find like everything in my life kind of falling apart. And I started to feel that way as well. Like, well, fuck, I'm exhausted mentally, emotionally, physically. And uh, I was looking for some kind of relief. And in feeling like that, it's very easy for the thought of suicide to, to, to linger. And um, yeah, I found myself in a really dark place, man, and contemplating myself. Um, why do I allow myself to continue to suffer? And so, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough at the time to meet a woman who taught me, uh, who put me through EMDR, which is a type of therapy that helps uh, process uh, trauma. And the EMDR was the first steps into uh, a wellness kind of enlightenment for myself. Wow. And uh, I was able to sleep better. I, I was able to remove uh, a vision of mine that I, that's been eating at me for many years from Iraq. And um, and that was like, holy shit. Um, there's a little bit of relief there. What else can I do? And as what I- is, What is the EMDR? I EMDR is- uh, I can't, uh, I can't tell you the, the, what it stands for because I can't remember off the top of my head. But essentially, it's like it's like um, uh, rapid eye movement treatment. Essentially, so what it does is is they put a light bar in front of your head or the finger, and you follow it. And as you follow it, your 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 eyes are switching left to right, left to right, and somehow that actually gets you to a point of 
uh, almost like REM sleep. Yeah. It gets you to, to a very vulnerable state in your brain where you're able to process thoughts and process emotions. And what, what it is is I guess there's a frontal cortex holds onto a lot of this trauma for post-traumatic stress and we're trying to get that to dissolve that thought into a memory. So it gets a little more fuzzy because it, it's a memory and not like a reoccurring uh, existing emotion, right? right. So um, that was the first time I had some kind of relief that I was like, oh, wow. man. And then from there, I kind of built. I started watching the communities struggle. <coughs> I started um, having a bigger social media presence. I started seeing the value of my words. People were like, dude, it, you wrote exactly what I felt. I'm like, oh, shit. And so I started the process of learning more and putting myself through more. I did stem cell treatment. I did sweat lodge therapy. Wow. I've done, wow. I've done uh, just regular talk. I gave it another shot for regular talk therapy. I've done a long list of different modalities to continue to try float tanks. I mean, I mean, the list goes on and on. Uh, meditation, breath work, um, all these things. I started realizing, like, man, um, right now it's over 20 years, and there's been almost no relief to the suicide epidemic for veterans. And so I've pivoted the ideology of like, well, let's stop talking about suicide. Let's let's fucking cut that name that 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 word out of our definition and start working on wellness let's actually approach the areas that lead to crisis instead of talking about the crisis right if i told you eating bananas caused cancer you would say um okay well then let's figure out the cure for cancer no motherfucker stop eating bananas right. <laughs> you know what i mean and so yeah. i went down the whole path of okay let's find all the areas that cause crisis and there's drinking there's relationships there's finances there's trauma it's and, everything you're right it's everything. there's a long list of things but th at least we could approach those at least i can hit those and be like hey are you living a healthier lifestyle are you are you drinking too much is that causing are you do you know what a healthy relationship because right. some people don't right. know what a healthy relationship no. is and so if i'm able to mitigate those areas teach financial literacy teach all these spaces well then we're now getting people into a place of a little bit more comfort and less crisis and when they do reach crisis it's not so overwhelming because all those areas cause compound issues, right? Like drinking causes relationship issues, relationship causes financial issues, financial issues causes, you 100%. know, so, so it can compound to the point of hopelessness, right? And hopelessness is where people get to. That's where they're like, well, there's no relief. And I'm trying to get to a place where teach them all there is relief and we can just knock out one at a time and let's slowly get there. What clicked for you to be able to internalize that and then be able to share that with other people where you're like, okay, I can digest this. I understand this about myself and now I can help. I can share my experience. Well, well, first I, I wanted to be a better father. I told you in 2012, I became a custodial parent of my kids and yeah. I was like, oh God, I can't, I can't put them through this. You know what I mean? As I, as they, I still was, but not as bad. I kept putting, you know, I was working on myself, but that was the first, like, I want to be around for them and I want to be a good dad for them. And so that means I got to fix me. Um, and then as I started doing it, I, I started telling veterans and, and as I started telling them, like guys are like finding relief in it as well. And they're, they're inspired and motivated by me just making efforts. And I'm like, fuck. So then I started writing it and like, I'm telling you, once I saw the feedback, I was hooked. I said, I can help. Like, this is my mission. And my mission's not what it was before, you know, and what's my purpose in life. If my purpose in life is just to serve others, then so be it. And so I kind of made it my purpose. Like as much as like, you know, TV and all this other stuff I do now. What fills my cup is service to others. What fills my cup is learning more about healing and learning more about wellness and giving that right back to someone else. You know what I mean? So um, I, I feel good and, and I feel it's therapeutic as well just to give back. Tell me about Betterin. Veteran is an organization that, that I created based on the same ideology. And that's Betterin with a B, like right. Veteran. Yeah, Go on. Yeah. yeah. And so there's so many things out there like 
the veteran community kind of uh, became its own enemy, right? We, we, we kind of caused our own calamity. We created our own chaos by, by feeling we were so alienated that we're so different, you don't understand me, disgruntled veterans, right? Yeah, and yeah. I never liked that. I thought it was like, well, that's stupid. You know what I mean? I, I thought it was dumb. I thought it was like, what are we doing? Like, I, people look up to us, and we're, we're demonizing ourselves. Yeah. We're, we're making ourselves the enemy, and we're actually- It's almost cannibalistic. Yeah, we, yeah. yeah we, we turn people off. Like, civilians who are proud of us, we almost turn them off to being proud of us, because then they go, oh, I feel sorry for you. Yeah. Right? Instead of saying- You don't want to be in that position. Right, you don't want to be in that position. No. So we, we created this t negative marketing, and it's still happening out there. And so I thought, like, since I have a voice and I have a following, I I'm going to try and pivot that. At least in, if it's a small ripple effect, I will. And so I created Veteran, and Veteran is just a positive movement for veterans, and, and trying to push veterans to be better. Like, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you want to be a better version of yourself? And so that's why I created Better, and Better is a for-profit company that gives to nonprofits. Um, Fifty percent of the proceeds goes to them, and all it is about like giving a positive message and, and helping other veterans find relief in different modalities of healing. And so, you know, there's a whole thing we do with that, and it's really if it's just a place of positivity, that's more than than what is out there already. That's awesome. Yeah. How can how can people follow Better? Oh, you go to uh, there's. I think Instagram is uh, veteran.hq, and then on Facebook, it's veteran. Um, you know, if you just follow my page and just my Instagram or my Facebook, I'll, I'll be tagging them often. And we do little projects. I'm working on a, a series of me putting myself through different modalities of healing just to kind of highlight them and, and enlighten people for what's out there, right? Different options for, for, for healing trauma. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Now, military man turned actor. Mm. How did that transition occur <laughs> you've obviously we've, we've touched yeah, on it yeah. here obviously mm. so when i was in glendale i started doing theater because it was going to help me and get this it. is back glendale when you were in junior baseball college, yeah way back yeah. in the day okay 20 that's when I started. before the military yeah i even have videos of me started doing theater that makes sense <laughs> I, you know i didn't even put it that well, way but well, you do have a personality yeah okay. me me when i was a kid we, my dad had a video camera me and my my sisters and brothers would create these fake shows and we that was probably the first hint of me doing anything was us as kids filming ourselves doing talk shows and things like that, and uh, wow. I have a, yeah I have a small clip of one. I see those tapes. Yeah. You gotta release some of those tapes. Yeah, on dude. Media. And so uh, that was the first version of like how interesting it would be. Uh, and then when I went to college, I needed better grades. The, my coach was like theater class, so, <laughs> oh. so I signed up for a theater class. And uh, dude, the first day I go into class that we were doing a uh, first day we're talking about improv and the teacher's just kind of like, all right, well, let's see who, who wants to do a scene. Um, how about a scene of coming home drunk? I'm like, boom, <laughs> <laughs> raise my like, hand. Scene, right? I'm drunk right yeah, now. Yeah, 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 yeah right. I was like, oh, bro, I do this all yeah, the time. Yeah, yeah. So I did the scene. I'm shaking my keys, trying not to make noise. I'm kind of really vocal about this, right? And I pretend like I drop my keys. And I'm like, oh, sh you know, I'm making all these gestures. And uh, when I was done with it, the class clapped and he was like, man, that was a good job. And I was like, that was cool, man. You know, and that's probably the first taste of like, man, I wonder if I could do this, right? But baseball took, took you know, front and center life. And then uh, 2013, I started doing YouTube videos with a buddy of mine. While and you're still in the service. Well, no, way, I, well, I'm still in the reserves at this point. Okay, I walked away okay, okay. from active, went to the reserve. But now this time I'm a border patrol agent, right? So like... Trying to do YouTube and Border Patrol at the same time was kind of a conflict of interest. I was going to say, and as a, <laughs> as a veteran, like, honestly, and, and not to say they can't, but somebody, a, a lay person is like, that's kind of weird. Like, weird I, and of course, everybody has a sense of humor. Everybody can. But, yeah. like, it's probably a fairly unique crossover, I, I, if you will. I think is why it did so well. 
the veteran community was like, oh, these are these are special operations dudes making funny videos about themselves. Like we were making fun of ourselves. So, was it like parody? What, what yeah, kind of- yeah, we made fun of ourselves. Uh, we it's just stupid clips. We walked into a house with holding balloons. Uh, no, someone's holding balloons and pops, and boom, we all pull our guns out and we jump and scream like we have post traumatic stress, right? Like, just silly, okay. silly videos of. You know you're you're in the army if kind of things, right? Like just silly things. Slick but production or amateur production? Amateur production, okay. bro. It was. Okay. I mean, okay. from the first video till now, they're, they're still making good stuff. But I I walked away from it. But the point was that we were we were a voice in the community that needed that was needed at the time. We were the comedic comedic relief for those who were still in combat, and we were kind of the future of what veterans could be. Business owners. We made a 1.5 million dollar company in one year. Great those job. those videos were selling T-shirts, and those T-shirts funded us to continue to do so. And it was what was it called? What was it like the it was called Article 15 Clothing, and okay. and okay. it doesn't even exist anymore. But it was at one point a beacon of light in the community that was like dope. People got out of the military and they do something cool, and that was like what other people probably took it as was something. I took it as like, oh man, I can keep doing this. I can actually do this for real. And so I we produced a movie. I produced a short film, and then I started doing improv comedy with the, with the group I hear that I said earlier called Dads and Parks, <laughs> and it did well. That AMC uh, bought a second round of it. We filmed those, and while I was in LA filming the second round of Dads and Parks, which you can find on YouTube, they're fucking hilarious. Um, I got the opportunity to audition for Minds. So you're a guy, and you have some success under your belt. You have a good look. For those of you don't, that don't know, Vince is probably 6'1", 240 Yeah, yeah somewhere around there. That's 240's being really nice, but I'll take it. <laughs> bald head, beard. I mean, like, dude looks the part. But still, you got to have talent. It's not like anybody can try out for a show. And the Mayans is successful. I think it, it went on the air in 2018, still on the air in 2023. That says something in this day and age. So, and it's part of the uh, Sons of Anarchy universe. So it's it's a big deal you can't just try out and get a part. Right. What, what was the process? Yeah. Like, what happened? Well, dude, I think uh, it was, you know, prep, uh, preparation meets opportunity meets luck meets uh, look. You know what I mean? Like, I look a part. I, I can act. Um, and they needed someone. And they needed someone who who brought authenticity to the group. I think they were on their last week of, of casting and just looking for another body. Yeah, dude. So everything timing, was timing, timing dude. Timing, yes. yeah. And I had a friend. You who walked was, in too. Yeah, I know you. You just walked in. They're like, okay, if this guy can even act his way out of a paper bag, I, I, I guarantee. Yeah, I guarantee yeah, you. They were just like, oh shit, he's perfect. Just dope. looks alone, okay, dude. Okay. Yeah. Did you have an age? Is it like nothing, that whole dude? T- nothing. Yes. I, I I got lucky. It was, it's the Cinderella story of the, of my lifetime. Is um, my buddy who was an actor. I said, hey, dude, by chance, do you know anyone? He goes, I actually, know the casting director. He sent all my stuff over because as an actor, if you want to be an actor, you have to have a headshot. You have to, you have to have an acting reel, right? And you have to have a little bit of a bio. Did you? You had all. I had it all, dude. I was preparing, right? I'm like, I'm ready. So I sent it all forward, and she said, "Can he act?" Uh, And my buddy said, "Yes." She goes, "Send me his stuff." Boom. Uh, We'll do within hours. We had it's called sides, right? So, so uh, a script to study for the next day audition. Yeah. And I was like, "Oh fuck, (laughs) we're gonna try." Just got real. Yeah, Yeah, dude. Yeah, man. So we went over there. I shaved my head, even just a fresh cut, made my face look like intimidating. Wore like the most cholo outfit I can it's, think of. It's funny because Vince and I always think this, right? Whenever, whenever I see pictures, there used to be billboards all throughout the valley, probably right throughout the country, but at least throughout the valley in LA with Vince on the fucking billboard. This was like last year, twenty twenty one, I think. 
And I'd be like, damn, they make this dude look like hard and mean. <laughs> but if you see Vince in real life, and this goes back to what I was saying earlier, you could just, for me, and maybe it's because I know him, but like he's got these nice, uh, like he's got a nice face. Like an, <laughs> you could tell, I could tell, maybe it's because I know him, but he's like a nice guy. So it's funny yeah. that like he plays like a hard character and like, I, you could see it. I could totally be like, dude, this dude's intimidating as fuck. But like, it's funny because yeah. Vince is like a warm, nice guy. So yeah, you're getting your cholo cut. Yeah, you're I'm getting dude, shaved. I'm looking yeah. like the best Hell 818. Yeah. Hell Looking yeah. like the best 818 cholo I could possibly yes. look like. Okay, okay, dope. <laughs> Show up to the audition, Woo. did my thing. Um, you know, she gave me a big hug and said, oh, it was great. And I don't know if she was just blowing smoke, right? So me and my wife fly back to El Paso. We're done in Cal- California. We were just here for spring break filming. Uh, by the time we landed in El Paso, we got the email that uh, they want they want another audition, and this time with Kurt Sutter, the creator of the damn show. So I turned around, and flew right back. At the same time, we're getting packed up and ready to move to Utah. This is the same time frame of landing oh, that other show, right? Oh, so we were like, if this happens, we're gonna have two shows all of a sudden. And uh, yeah, dude. So I flew in. I did the audition. They loved it. They're gonna be filming the pilot within the next week and a half. Wow. I went home kissed my wife said i love her said hey we're gonna be doing this yeah let's go for it boom we flew back to flew back to la and started filming the pilot wow man and that started this this new legacy new chapter and i gotta touch out touch off and close out on this too so this commuting between utah and los angeles please explain to me the logistics now because again vince lives in utah the family eight kids Wife, husband, all kinds of sports. They're in Utah, but Vince is out here in LA and the show is filmed in LA. So how does this commuting process? Because I used to I used to live in Valley Village, which is basically North Hollywood, and commute to El Segundo, which is an hour and a half each way. And that was a bitch. And that was life draining. But now we're talking Utah, hopping on planes. Tell me about this. Yeah, dude, the same ideology I have of just trying to be a better father. I told my wife I'll be home every weekend. Uh, in the contract, and the first two seasons, three seasons, I didn't have that contract, so it was just we're paying out of our own pocket. I was pretty much putting myself in debt during the seasons. But during season four and now this season five, I've negotiated the contract a certain amount of money for travel. Good job. And I fly home every weekend to be with the kids and be there for sports as much as I can, and then I fly back for work. And so I do it, bro. It's an hour and a half flight. Um, I manage it. Do I? Does it get exhausting? Yes. Uh, is it worth it? Absolutely. And so that's what I do. I'm also a writer on the show now, and so. Jeez. Um, you know, I have to come in for meetings sometimes and we just make it happen, man. Are you flying uh, commercial? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm flying uh, Delta is my, my jam, bro. <laughs> Delta is my jam, bro. A little Sponsor me, someone, Delta. <laughs> Are you an airport lounge guy? I, I've been hearing, I've never done him, but I keep hearing like all these random people are like, gotta go to airport lounge. Are you I, don't, airport I don't know, dude. Okay. I, I get there at the last minute possible yes, and then I fly right. in and fly and fly out. Yeah. Okay. All right, dude. That's great. Now let's close out with what we like to call the interrogation. One, I mean, it's been kind of an interrogation, <laughs> but this is when just quick answers. I got some quick questions for you, then we'll close it out. Go for it. All right. So I never knew you as Rocco. Where does Rocco come from? Uh, one night we were at a bar. I was kind of being the, the dad of the group, making sure everyone who was in the group stayed in the group, make sure they didn't drink too much, make sure they didn't get in a fight. And so the next morning they were like, dude, you were like a bouncer, like a Rocco bouncer, named, a guy named Rocco a bouncer. And that's when it stuck. That's it. Where was this at? It was in El Paso, Texas in 2000, probably 12. Okay. So post, you're, you're already military guy, yes, mature. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So that's Rocco. All right. So Utah resident. What food or restaurant do you miss the most in Los Angeles? 
Oh, nice. There used to be a spot in the Valley called Nachos. It was just... Yeah. <laughs> you remember that spot, bro? Dude, Valley Relics Museum has their original sign, Dude, bro. Yes. Dude, That was the spot. That doesn't exist anymore. There's some like Greek place, and I'm, I'm pretty pissed about that. But yeah, Nachos was the Good jam, bro. Ref, bro. What do you eat when you come out here? Double double question. Yeah, I, dude, I always have sushi because I'm landlocked in Utah. So sushi, Whew, you know, you got to yeah. go sushi. I always go fish tacos out here as well. That's a bit... I just had fish tacos at that spot down the yes. street. What's it called? What's it Mexicali. Yeah. Shout out. Studio City. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's the big one and then um balboa sub shop homie i always go to balboa sub shop. which one is that bro it's on it's on balboa and parthenia it used to be owned by a guy named sammy back in the day you walk in once he remembers your name now it's owned by another dude um named mike and it is it is one of the best sandwich places in the valley bro you gotta go try it, it they're incredible bro dude that's right near where i grew up okay balboa sub shop put it on the list okay Common ground between LA and Utah. Mm. What's common ground in a nutshell? Okay. What's the same and what's different? Uh, well, a lot of LA people move to Utah. <laughs> you know, it's funny. My mom's cousin's son lives in Utah, so that's my my connection, yeah. if you will. But go on. Yeah. I don't know. If not the same. There's a lot of difference, dude. There's a lot of different, but also my world is different, right? Uh, my kids are, go to a private school. You know, you know what I mean. So my life is different. My right. my my socioeconomic look position is different. So I think I've tried to put myself in these places where the kids have more opportunity. You know, and so. Uh, People, there's uh, there's probably more LA fans in Utah than there is jazz fans. Dog. Wow, that's dope. Yeah, there's, Actually, yeah. and we also have uh, the Angels AAA team called the Bees. So there is a lot of love okay, for okay. LA there, and dude, there's you you can walk the street and see ten LA hats all the time. So yes. I feel at home there because we're all there. Uh, that's legit. That's legit. Okay, if you took the entire family to Los Angeles for a day or a weekend, what activity would you do? Uh, we like to do the San Diego trip. <laughs> Outside of LA, bro. I know. You know, it's funny though. You know, it's funny. I kind of, and I take a little flag for that. I consider LA, greater LA, honestly, for me, goes Santa Barbara, Ventura. You can throw Bakersfield yeah. in there. Yes. Uh, all the way out to down south, San Diego. I include Vegas in LA. It's Good all call. greater LA to yeah. me. So the San Diego trip, and I've always said this, the city I would live in besides LA would be San Diego, which yeah. is kind of like come out. You know, we guy, do the Disney thing, but like we like to do the San Diego thing. Yeah, that's that's the jam for us. Okay, now these are these are interesting ones. Of all the stuff you've done, a lot of accomplishments, a lot of checkboxes, what are you the most proud of? Leave family aside because for me, wife, kids, yeah. take the cake. Like vocation professionally. Yeah, I think that, I mean, proud. Uh, I'm proud of what I'm doing here in LA, coming back home and being able to see my family again, hang out with friends like you again. The, the acting community has brought me back to my world because for a long time I left LA and never thought I'd come back and acting wow. brought me back to the 818 and and there's a lot of memories here that, I, that I'm fond of and especially there's almost no memory without baseball so it brings me back to my roots that's dope um how are your parents are they they're great dude i see them every day when i'm out here really my father works in television as a as a as a medic a set medic he's retiring this year perfect yeah and so every time he's in season my my show was on season by chance and so i come home i get to eat dinner with them i get to see them uh when the seasons end we both go back our separate ways he goes to arizona with his retirement home with his my mom and we go to utah and so like i said acting has brought me back to the world dude that 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 i just was so disconnected for years by joining the military by just kind of taking off playing baseball and it all brought me back home which has been a blessing bro yeah dude that is beautiful 
Vince, I could spend hours with you. I'm sure we will. Thank you for being here on In a Minute with Evan Lovett. I appreciate you. Vincent Rocco Vargas, you got anything else you want to say? No, that's it. Thanks for listening. <laughs> awesome, man. Thanks a lot, Vince. I appreciate no you worries. being here.